What's up, everybody? <laughs> Hello, uh, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Friends Podcast. Uh, so the podcast, real quick about it, it's... Uh, <laughs> see, you and I get nervous when I'm starting to do this, so don't feel bad. Yeah. Well, well actually, it doesn't help that like, the host is nervous. Yeah, Andy. <laughs> the hell? <laughs> All right, so real quick about the podcast. Uh, so it's a podcast where people in... Um, active addiction recovery from addiction share their unique experience in the hope that listeners still in active addiction can identify with their stories and maybe find hope for their own recovery we are not affiliated or do we speak for any 12-step programs or any other addiction or recovery based entity the words spoken here reflect the experiences of our guests and not the opinion of their chosen path to recovery all right and <coughs> <laughs> okay with that uh tonight our guest is uh, a friend of mine maris hey <laughs> um so maris is um you know i think um i think I, i'm i'm pretty sure people who listen to the podcast think i'm full of shit because i'm always like saying how i really uh, get like the people that come on my show but obviously i wouldn't ask you if i didn't like you or maybe i would i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but uh so i think maris is actually you're the first one of the first people to when uh, i i sold you a bike you did sell me a bike that's how i really first time i think i ever met you it was the first time we had more than like one or two words maybe yeah Maybe. It was also the biggest expense that I had in recovery at that point, too, buying myself it was a bike. A, it was a big, oh, wow. Which is, it wasn't that expensive, but it was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You, you get to spending, like, multiple dollars when you get sober. You feel like you're doing something. You're like, oh, I can buy a bike, a used bike. This yeah. is a big deal. It's a vehicle. It's a vehicle. You bought a It's a, a mode vehicle. of transportation. <laughs> <laughs> buying a vehicle is a big deal. From you. Yeah. So thank you. Oh, thank it's you. stolen now. Thank you for the business. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. Never never was able to find it. No. No, no more clues. No, I, it's, I hope it's riding around New Orleans somewhere. Yeah. Or somebody just stripped it for parts. It's very possible. It's likely, too, because I, I feel like that's probably the, the route that most bike thieves should go if they're smart. Yeah, you don't want to be obvious. Yeah. Like piece together if you're listening, <laughs> bike thieves. <laughs> like put together a bike with multiple parts so it can't be like pinned down as one bike. Yeah. So absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what? How are you? I am good. What's um? What's new in your in your world? Currently new in my world. Um. <clears throat> Oh, goodness. I know I hit you with a curveball. You weren't expecting that. Well, like, that. there's big new things in my world. So, um. <clears throat> Would you, do you want to touch on that at the end? Um, yeah, let's touch on that at the end. Yeah, bring, bring it home with some, like, big, like, inspiring stuff. Inspire <laughs> us, okay? I will do uh, my best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know the format since you, first, this is actually people, listeners, <laughs> listeners, 
first guest that actually listens to the podcast. Regularly love it. Yeah. Well, no, that's a lie because Brent said he listened to it. He did. He said he was a big fan. Yeah. And I backed that up. I'm a big fan too. All right. That's great. (laughs) That feels weird. No, it's, I mean, when I heard you were doing this, I was like, that's such a great idea. And I feel like you're the perfect person to do this. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. You're super easy to talk to. So your guests feel, or it it seems that they feel very comfortable when they're here. So I'm usually so uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no i get it yeah that's why and look and then really that's why like i wanted to do this was because i i've had so many of these good conversations off mic yeah so i feel like i was always like Psh, somebody should capture these the spirit of these conversations yeah plus i feel like it gives somebody an opportunity to hear some recovery if they're not willing to walk into a meeting or go somewhere yeah you know just click a link yeah yeah so yeah um, so if you want to just get started wherever you feel you want to get started. All right. Well, um, I, I noticed a lot of people start with, I, I was born. <laughs> <laughs> that is a thing, huh? Yeah. So I was thinking about that when I got on my way here, actually, um, about like the story of me being born and I didn't know what that was until I was 16 and which was like a pivotal moment in my life. It was when I was starting to drink and get into drugs and um, into trouble. And my dad had like gone on his knees and was telling me this story about when I was born. And he said, uh, you came out and you were blue and purple oh. <clears throat> and you weren't breathing and we were horrified. You know, I had to leave the room. I was so scared. And he told me this story about how like I scared him to death and how kind of like I've been scaring him. And I thought in my mind, like, maybe that's why I'm so fucked up. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. I <laughs> because I always felt like different and weird and like an alien. And I know a lot of people say that, but it was true. And so I was like, oh, I wasn't breathing when I was born. Maybe something was <laughs> was wrong with me forever. <laughs> From that moment I popped out. Well, look, my, I have a, a unique like birth story, too. Really? I was, I was and, and I always... If I've always thought like, oh, maybe the fact like this set the tone for my whole life. Right. That's yeah. I, <laughs> I was like, I was born on the way to a hospital. Mm. My mom basically like delivered me yeah. herself. My dad got lost going to the hospital and I was born in the passenger side of this like hippie uh, Volkswagen van. Wow. Yeah. And my dad's like freaking out. Could you imagine? I never really thought about no. that. <laughs> I could not. <laughs> like my dad was driving, freaking out, watching my mom deliver me with no meds, nothing. nothing. My mom's a beast. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> and and then by the time and my dad, he got lost. He passed up the hospital. Dad. He panicked. Not good under pressure. No. Uh, <laughs> that's where I get it from. <laughs> I just just crumble under pressure. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then by the time we got to the hospital, my mom was like breastfeeding me no way yeah. umbilical cord still attached and everything that's yeah. a wild story yeah then so i always thought like that definitely like says it all like why i turned out so fucked up yeah like <laughs> no it's so weird though because i deeply resonate my dad was telling me this and my mind is like going up like it all makes sense now <laughs> you know which i don't know if that's true it's probably not but who knows yeah. you know so that happened <laughs> <laughs> and well, you know you know the uh what is it they say that like uh, realized beings mm-hmm. are born blue and purple or some shit? Are you? S- 
Did I might, you just make... I, I, no, is there something like that? Really? Yeah. And they say... I'm totally like... <laughs> There's somebody out there going, no, <laughs> that knows exactly what I think I'm talking about. Uh, but something like that, like in Hinduism or Buddhism or something. You mean like a realized person who has reached like self-actualization? Yeah, like their and- last incarnation. They just, bo- they're born like that and then they die. At the end of my life, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Oh, that's like their last life. Yeah. Or maybe they die. I don't know. That would be pretty cool. Because if you ever see like pictures of their gods, they're like blue. You ever seen like the... I'm a living goddess. Yeah, <laughs> you might be. There might be something to that. Just... People always said that I was an old soul. Yeah. What does that mean? I have no idea. You know what's funny I always say about old souls is that <laughs> <laughs> nobody... Like, I really cannot stand somebody that calls themselves an old soul. <laughs> yeah, no, that's oh. why I said people, because I'm like, I'm not going to be that person. <laughs> no, don't call, just don't do it. Yeah, don't call yourself I used an to. old soul. I'm an old soul. And Man, we'll get to that point. My story <laughs> is so wrapped up in self. I was like, yeah, I'm an old person. I should have been born like the 60s. Cause, oh, no. Yeah. That's like, yeah, that's, it was that's a specific type of, of uh, I, I was going to this not disparage anybody out there listening who considers mm-hmm. himself an old soul oh yeah <laughs> we mean no offense but anyway, <laughs> so anyways uh so what happened after you were born purple i was born purple and i guess i was okay and i went home from the hospital that day well not that day i'm sure a few days after um <clears throat> but i was born in metairie and i grew up in birmingham alabama and uh yeah, I mean, growing up, I remember we always kind of had everything that we needed. Like, you know, my parents say that we didn't have a lot of money or a lot of, you know, that they were kind of broke or something because they were young. But I mean, as kids, we always had like food, toys. I mean, I never needed anything, um, but I always felt that sense of like, I'm the black sheep or like I am not connected to my family. I'm different um are you a middle child i am a middle child but it, but you know i wasn't a middle child until i was 11 so but no but how convenient though right mm-hmm. finally i have an excuse oh, perfect excuse <laughs> at 11 yeah <laughs> it's but you were the baby the middle. but you were the baby for 11 years yeah we could say that i <laughs> suffered from that syndrome i'm the baby and then this kid comes yeah. and takes all of my attention you know? <laughs> You can always find a reason, man. <laughs> There's always one. <laughs> so, I mean, I was, I feel like I was always looking for a reason. And my mom, it wasn't until I was like a year or two sober, she found a little book that I had written like in preschool or kindergarten. They made us write these little books. The teacher would write for us, but we'd draw these pictures. And it was about this dog named like Starshine or something. <laughs> and oh, wow. the dog was obviously me. <laughs> and the owners were like, obviously my parents. And the story was so sad. It was this dog that was like constantly put out of the house (laughs) and like the door, the door would like slam shut. And you wrote this? Yes. As like, like a child, (laughs) like I wasn't even able to actually physically write yet. (laughs) And I thought like, oh my God, like I, man, I felt like that longer than I could even think back. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the way that things were and, you know, but I was a fun kid, like, too. I was, like, the entertainer of the house. And, um, 
of like the family they we'd go on vacations or for christmas and i'd be singing and dancing and being silly and uh and i'm like always really goofy and um like you know around fifth grade i guess things in the household were getting a little rough um you know mom and dad were having a lot of uh, you know they're having some problems like i think a lot of parents do at certain points and um and i don't think that like any kid ever comes out of childhood unscathed yeah um you know and so like what i did with that was like i would recoil into my room and do really weird things like um i'd play with matches and fire and like um you know, I would listen to music. I remember I just, well, when I got a little bit older, like 11, 12, 13, and would just listen to music really, really loud in my headphones. And, uh, you know, and if, if mom and dad are fighting or, um, oh. you know, yeah. And, and like we, I would have this, this thing that you could get in, you know, those little electrical, oh man, I don't know how to explain it. The, ba- the, the balls. Yeah. With like the, that you touch. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just sit there and like, you, you could burn yourself, like not in a way that would hurt you at all. It didn't yeah. hurt, but I just like would sit there and occupy myself with like weird stuff. Cause it's like, I guess in a means to escape yeah. like this stuff that was going on. And how long it, did that go on for? How long were they? Was it turbulent? It was turbulent from fifth grade was when it was bad. And then, I guess all the way up until I started drinking because then I started drinking at, at 15. Um, so maybe five or six years. And they, and, and they stayed together the whole they time. They did. And they are still together. Wow. And, um, they made it work. They did. They did. Um, you know, it was a rough patch and, um, you know, it's, it's a whole lot better, but, uh, since you left the house since I, <laughs> to be quite honest <laughs> yes <laughs> because I mean essentially I didn't really leave the house until I was like 19 or, yeah. or 18 or 19 and um but yeah so when I turned 15 and 16 uh you know I, I all my friends were drinking and they were going to parties and stuff and I remember being really excited about that thought but like really really scared because I was this good kid like you know, I never did those types of things. Like I might play with matches in my room, but like, you know, I was so afraid of drinking. I was, I won the essay for dare, you know, in elementary school of like, (laughs) don't do drugs. And I won this like backpack. And I was like, you know, I I was like, I'm going to be a virgin until I get married. And I'm just going to be this good kid and like make great grades and play tennis. Cause I played tennis forever. And, uh, but but, you know, my friends started drinking and I, I was invited to some party. It was my friend's house and they were her dad would let us do what we wanted in the basement because in Alabama there's basements. <laughs> and uh, so I went. Oh, God. Yeah. Basements in Alabama. Just the thought of those scare me. So many weird things happen in basements <laughs> in Alabama. <laughs> swear to God. <laughs> just about imagine (laughs) oh the strangest things (laughs) and uh yeah and so that was you know I mean I had sips of my dad's beer and you know it wasn't like the first time I drank but it was I guess it was the first time I drank not the first time I tried alcohol and uh and so everyone passed out it was like everyone I had watched everyone drink and get drunk and pass out and 
it was my turn. Like I was like, okay, I was thinking the whole night, like, when am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? And I didn't get the courage until everyone was asleep. Wow. <laughs> and so there was like one guy who's still up and I was like, Hey, can you make me a drink? I, w- I want to try this. And he was like, okay. So he gave me this big cup of whiskey and squeezed lime in it. And, uh, and it was hot and he just handed it to me. It was in like one of those Mardi Gras cups. And, um, and I drank it and I remember it being really hot and I remember it feeling really warm and just like hitting my stomach. And I was like, okay, you know, it kind of reminds me of the sip of wine I get at church. Um, but it was a lot heavier than that. It was intense. It was an intense experience. Oh yeah. It hits you in the back of the throat, you know, and you're like, ah, and, and you liked that? I did. It was like... It was like burning your fingers on the globe. Yeah. It was like, whoa, that feels good. <laughs> and there's going to be something that comes after yeah. that, you know? And uh, and I don't remember, like, I, like, I know that I drank more of that because I blacked out that night and I got so drunk that I just... But that was the last thing you remembered? I mean, like consciously, like yeah. I, I know that, you know, I probably sat there and I drank more and I drank more, but I just remember that feeling and just like continuing to drink and taking pictures of myself on my friend's camera and then like blackout. And the next day we woke up and my friend had pulled her camera out and there was like 20 or 30 pictures of me, like just like wasted and, <laughs> you know, um, selfie queen comes out. Selfie you- queen. Yeah. <laughs> This was before you could like, you know, it wasn't, you you had to turn the phone around and hope that you were aiming in the right spot. (laughs) And so like, this was when MySpace was there too. So I was like, please don't upload those to MySpace, you know? And, um, yeah, but I, I mean, I don't remember feeling sick in the morning. I don't remember like regretting anything that I did I felt a tinge of guilt because I had lied you know and I had not really lied to my parents I had done something that was like I knew was not okay and um and and uh yeah and so the next day I mean I went home mom and dad picked me up and it was like nothing ever happened and I didn't like do that every single night you know I started to drink whenever I could get to that party yeah <laughs> Which was, you know, at first, like, every other weekend. And then it was, like, every weekend. And then, you know, it became more and more. And, like, to fill the time between that and when we could drink, we'd go to the store and we'd get, like, yeah, those, you know, we call them triple C's. Those Coruscant and cough and cold pills. Oh. And you could take those and they would make you feel weird. Yeah. <laughs> really weird. Like trip out, right? Yeah, they'd make you trip out. And so we'd take a handful because, you know, I mean, we couldn't get drugs. Like, yeah. this was us being like, whoa, like, we're bad. <laughs> and so we'd take those and um, and we'd hang out in basements. And this was, like, early, early, you know, the early stuff. And, you know, at 16, it, someone had offered to let me smoke their weed out of a water bottle. <laughs> and I did that for the first time. And... um I don't think I got high that time, but did you pretend like you were high though? Absolutely. <laughs> I need to fit in with you, yeah. you know, like I did the same thing. I, I, the first time we were like in a car driving around and I, and I was like, all right, I, I, I probably feel something. Mm-hmm. So I was like forcing it. They had these like th- this casino close by and had those like searchlights in the sky. <laughs> and I was like, man, look at the searchlights. How <laughs> trippy they look. Trying to be like all heady and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Searchlights just looked like searchlights that night. Yeah. They didn't look. <laughs> I was probably like, I think I feel it. Like, yeah. <laughs> so 
Yeah, so stone, man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, but like I liked, I loved the way that that stuff made me feel. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I, at the time, like it was just, well, I really like that. I'm going to keep doing that when mm-hmm. I can wasn't this conscious effort to like escape or this conscious effort to like get away. It was that felt good. I want to do that again. And let's just, you know, I'm down, I'm game. Like I'm here. And, um, and I mean, I, I felt funnier and all the things you hear all the time. You know, I felt like I could be, uh, who I wanted to be, but like better, just much better. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I, I did that. And, you know, by the end of my senior year of high school, I was drinking uh, every weekend, sometimes on the weekdays when I was allowed to go out senior year. You know, parents get a little lax and I st- had stopped playing tennis, um, which was big for me. I had played since I could hold a racket in my hand, you know, and I just quit. Could you have played in college? No. Junco? No. You know, I, I really don't know. I quit yeah. my sophomore year or my junior year um, before my senior year and I didn't. I didn't pursue it. You know, I played in tournaments outside of school and I just, if it took away my chance to go out and party with my friends and like, I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. And I was already showing up to tennis practice hungover. Mm. Like that doesn't fly. Yeah. You know, uh, it's really hard to play tennis when you feel like crap. (laughs) And so, you know, I, I went off to college. Well, I guess I got arrested at one point between there, you know, and that was like the thing that was happening. Everyone was getting arrested, you know, I mean, in, in Louisiana, I mean, in uh, Alabama, the cops don't have much to do. They sit on corners. They'll just pull you over. And, and I got arrested for having, um, for, it was a minor in possession. Yeah. So that didn't even seem like a, like a, a, a warning, a red flag because it's like everybody else is getting arrested too. It was kind of like, well, now I super fit in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been arrested. I've been arrested. <laughs> And it, I didn't think that it was a big deal. Like yeah. I did not, I, I remember being really scared, you know, they brought us to jail and I got to sit in a holding cell and my parents let me sit there as long as possible until like three in the morning until, you know, right before they were going to bring us up. And I remember being horrified and thinking like, oh man, you know, I got to stop doing this stuff. Um, but while you were in there. Yeah, like I just got myself in trouble, but like that other part of me was like, oh, well, let's laugh it off. Badge you know? of honor. Yeah. I feel like there's always that like inner fight that went on. Like, well, it's not that big of a deal. And like everyone does it. And that thing deep inside that was like, but I don't, this isn't me. Like what? I just got arrested. You mm-hmm. know, I'm in the back of a cop car. Yeah. And uh, like I could see you maybe like. Cause you, cause you're not, in, this is not an insult. This it's is cool. a compliment. <laughs> I feel like I know what you're going to say. Well, I'm just saying like, you, like you don't seem like a badass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cause I'm not. But like, I could see you like just pre- trying to like pretend to be a badass. Yeah. Back at the, I could see you doing that. Man. I wanted to be such a bad, I wanted to drink you onto the table. Yeah. I wanted to like be the coolest person but like you as you are is like such a great you're such a great like person like (laughs) thank you (laughs) (laughs) but i get it though you know you want to be you want to fit in i want to be hard like i just yeah i'm I'm hard nothing can get me down and uh yeah i think part of my like part of it like (laughs) whenever like accepting myself came 
like a, a like realizing that like people do like me mm-hmm. but part of why they like me is because i'm non-threatening yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is like so great yeah that is great but i'm like i want people to like respect me and yeah, fear me a yeah. little bit you know <laughs> be intimidated by me please <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm like a huge softie. I've always been such a yeah. like sensitive mm-hmm. being, like just this very sensitive <laughs> person and you know, I man, after that I went to college mm-hmm. and um and failed immediately. Like I could not go to class. I could not I got there, I was 7 hours away from where I grew up, and I was horrified of the fact that like I'm in this new place. I felt like I was just dropped off. I had gotten arrested like two or three weeks earlier prior to like going to college. And my parents had threatened like, we're not going to let her go. You know, uh, they were scared for me, which I'm rightfully so, you know, and they decided, you know, we're not going to take away her opportunities. So let's let her go to college. And, and I went and I just could not go to class. I went to the first round of classes I was in a room full of like 600 kids in this auditorium for some biology class. And I was like, man, fuck this. Like, I can't do this. And, um, and I just like, I did not go. I sat outside and I smoked cigarettes and I, you know, found people who drank like I drank or who liked to party. That wasn't, that was like the thing you like to party. All right, let's party. And, but what do you think you you said you can't do this? What was that? Was it, was it like you thought you, you didn't have it in you to, to, or you were like it not was, smart enough or or too it mi- felt like um like I had been around the people that I grew up with for I mean I had lived there since I was six so like being in this new place with these new people and I had to meet I didn't have skills to like yeah. hey who ha, my name's Maris how are you and everybody seemed so much cooler than you oh yeah everyone's cooler they have their shit together they know what they're doing they they seemed to be well more equipped than I was even though I know now that like everyone was experiencing the same thing yeah, yeah everyone's like new in college or freshmen mm-hmm. like we don't know what we're doing And I just thought like, well, I can't, you know, I'm going to fail anyway. Like I'll get ahead of myself and just think like, I I can't do this anyway. So I'll just give up. I'll throw in the towel. Yeah. So quickly. So fast. Wow. See, I I relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. I did that so much. I used to tell people like I was a, cause I, you know, into my twenties, I hadn't really stuck with anything. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. And it's because every time something got challenging, I'd like, throw in the towel like quit and, yeah. and people would ask me what do you do because you know, people always ask you what do you do especially when you get a little age mm-hmm. people expect you to have stuck with something at some point and to start <laughs> developing like a trade or a skill and I'm, like, I'm just a professional quitter yeah <laughs> <laughs> i never finish anything that's what i do <laughs> yeah and that was like a new thing i guess yeah. because you know i had played tennis for so long and i had succeeded in all these other ways I had played piano and I like I did this stuff I won competitions and then I go to college and I'm like you know I've been drinking for a couple years and now I just I'm horrified by the world around me and um I I just remember being full of fear and uh totally stuck in my head and so I'm spent a lot of time in the bars in my dorm room in the dorm room across the hall because that's where we'd smoke weed and get high mm-hmm. <laughs> with a towel under the door and uh 
and 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 outside smoking cigarettes. I mean, that's all I did in college and um and party and go to frat parties and I remember finally having to admit to my parents that I had failed. It was when finals were happening and I called my mom. I can't remember exactly how it happened, but we had this conversation and I I remember getting honest with her being like, "Mom, I'm failing." I haven't gone to class. Oh, you told her you hadn't gone to class? Yeah. See, I wouldn't have been that honest. It took um, four months. <laughs> four or five months. I guess they would find out huh, if you hadn't been to class. Well, I was supposed to go home for Christmas, you know, for like the holidays. And I was like, well, I can't, like, I cannot bring this home with me. Like I cannot bear to lie to them while I'm in front of their faces. Yeah. It's easy to do that over the phone. Yeah, I'm doing great, you know? Yeah. But I like I was like, I'm failing mom. And she said, well, then don't even take the final. Like, there's no point. I mean, I knew none of the work. And I thought, OK, well, cool. I don't have to take the final now. <laughs> Easy out. Easy out, you know. And, you know, they they took me out of school. I was supposed to, you know, LSU, the college that I went to. <laughs> We'll, we'll forgive you, you know, academic forgiveness or something like that. And they'll let you come back under probation. And my parents were like, no, like you're coming home. So I went home and they enrolled me into a community college and I was so, that was the first thing I think that happened that like I felt horrible about like within myself that I had this opportunity to go to school, to the school that I had dreamed of going to and I couldn't even do it. Um, like I just could not manage it. How did everybody feel about you attending that specific school down in Alabama? Everyone was, uh, my friends were excited, but like they don't really, you know, root for the Tigers, <laughs> you know, so there was a lot of jokes and messing around with it, but I felt like the coolest person ever. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to LSU. Like, so what? And I couldn't even do it. You know, I had talked all this talk and I couldn't even make it. And meanwhile, my friends are succeeding in their passing their classes. And, um, I fell into like a pretty deep you know, it was an ugly place that I, when I arrived back home and I remember just becoming mad as hell at everything and everybody and, and especially mad at myself. And so what do I do with that? I just drink more and I use more and I, you know, I found some other drugs that I really liked. Um, my first couple weeks going to community college, I met a person and after class he was like, Hey, do you want to go um, do some, you know, this drug. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can mention drugs here. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh, that's fine. I got you. Got you. <laughs> uh, and, um, well, he said, do you want to go do some DMT? And I said, Oh, sure. I've never tried that before. Yeah. And so I, I go to show up to class and we leave cl class. We leave the parking lot and we just go smoke DMT in the middle of the day and I don't go to class. And then I did the exact same thing that I normally do. And I, I go and I drink and get high and loaded and I don't show up for my commitments. Mm. Um, and so I failed community college and oh. I was taking two classes. Yeah. <laughs> two. <laughs> two. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Nobody told you. It's okay. Yeah. But I began to believe <laughs> that like I'm dumb now. You yeah. Know? Like well, I'm yeah. It's reinforcing that, that, oh, that oh, already probably negative uh, opinion of yourself. Mm -hmm. that you have. Yeah. And I, and I can't see myself, you know, mm. clearly. So I'm, I can't see that, you know, probably drugs and alcohol have something to do with it. But to me, drugs and alcohol is like 
that was the thing that made me be able to breathe sometimes. So I failed community college. Um, shortly after that, my parents say we're moving to Louisiana. I know I got to hurry this up a little bit. <laughs> Where are we at? I'm not. I got five minutes left in 30 minutes. Oh, okay. We're going quick up the pace. Yeah. So well, my parents say we're moving to New Orleans. They lied. They meant the North Shore, <laughs> <laughs> which no, no foul against North Shore, just not what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> and so we get here and I remember telling my mom, like, I'm going to make your life a living hell because, you know, you're moving me from all my friends. And I was just angry. And um, within two weeks, I was, you know, I, had, I knew somebody who lived on a boat in, um, in Mandeville and I, that I went to college with for that brief student at college. And so we moved to Madisonville and I would go every night to my friend's house and we'd drink on this boat and we'd get high on this boat and I'd come home past curfew and um, well past curfew. And, you know, within two weeks I was raising so much hell. My mom said, you either stop what you're doing or you leave this house. And because mind you, I have an eight year old sister at home at the time, you know, and she's seeing me just be like, so irate and angry and mean and like, you know, my mom got in the way of the way that I wanted to drink. She got in the way of me doing the things I wanted to do. So I would, I mean, I would just attack her like verbally and um, raise so much hell. And she finally said, like, you can't live here like that. You can't live here anymore if you're going to be like that. And so I left. And that was like the beginning of, you know, a year, year and a half of me just like floating around and like sleeping on couches and um you know I still like I'm starting to get to the place where I'm like this is okay I guess I don't have to pay bills and you know I'm finally like the hippie I want to be you know like (laughs) (laughs) you know like I don't have any responsibility but then the other part of me is like you know it would it hit me like six or seven months into it I'm trying to file some taxes and they asked me for an address and I realized that I did not have an address Mm. And it asked if I qualified to be homeless. <laughs> and I realized, I think that I might be homeless. Wow. You know, I don't, I don't have like a yeah. place to live. I just sleep on people's couches. And like, thank God I never slept on the street. I never slept, you know, anywhere like that. But yeah, but once those couches run out, mm, where do you go? Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, and it was scary. I mean, when when you're homeless and you're hanging around a lot of people doing drugs and drinking a lot, like you're on their time <laughs> and you're on people. <laughs> you're you know, when you got to shower when when they're home for you to shower. And, um, you know, so that was miserable. And eventually I got a job and uh, I got into a relationship and, um, you know, I, I'm going to skip through some of that stuff because I don't know if it's relevant, but things just got really dark during that point. I started to do use cocaine with this person that I was in a relationship with. Um, and you know, I mean, this is when it got bad. Like, you know, now I have a job I'm trying to, to like be okay in the world. I'm using this person. I'm sucking the life out of this person because they're going to provide me with the things that I need. You know, they're going to provide me with the drugs that I need. They're providing me a place to sleep. They're providing me a vehicle and, uh, and a job. I mean, his, I worked for his dad, you know? And so I'd get up every day. I go to work hungover as hell. Like I, I just, ugh, so sick. I'd sit in this hot warehouse for eight hours, uh, not doing much of my job. Um, and then I'd go home and I'd do it all again. And, 
Um, it was miserable and ugly and gross. And eventually I got out of that relationship and I had started to read these spiritual books because I thought Mm -hmm. that like something was horribly wrong with me, you know, but it never, I never thought like, well, maybe it's the way that I use. Um, and you know, so I started reading these books like, um, the art of happiness by the Dalai Lama. And, um, how was that? How was it? It's, (laughs) It's actually like it helped you through some dark times. It did, and it's actually influenced the my spirituality today. Which is funny. I was just cleaning out a box at my parents' house because they're moving, and I we found that book. Yeah. <laughs> and um and yeah, and I started reading these like spiritual books, and I decided that I was gonna like be a better person. And so to do that, I'll just start taking acid. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I'll like... Is that what the book suggests? No, 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 no. <laughs> but like, you know, the book talks about like, you know, these, these uh, this sense of spirituality of being, you know, um, like awakening uh, your consciousness. Oh, and so, awesome. so I was like, well, you know, I got to do the quick way. Like, how do I get yeah. this fast? And um, and yeah, so, you know, that opened a whole new world, new, new things. Um, and... I mean, shortly after that, I, you know, I, I, this is where it gets, we're towards the end of the using. Um, I gotten out of that relationship. Um, I, I'm trying to live this way that on the outside, like I'm living that double life, you know, I'm on the outside. I'm trying to be this like spiritual guru. Cause I've read like three books. Were you wearing like really spiritual clothes too? I'm long skirts, yeah. uh, like oh. braids in my hair. Oh yeah. Hair down to my waist, you know, <laughs> like lots of bracelets wearing and some, some oils, some essential oils. You know, I didn't really get into that. No, no. So that's, that's where you went wrong. I was so confusing. Cause like in my <laughs> mind, I was like, I'm above that. Like yeah, I'm like, so spiritual. I don't need oil. <laughs> I'm wearing deodorant and perfume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can you hold my cocaine? <laughs> like, it was so bad. And I mean, this, like, on Facebook, I was just, ta- like, I would write all the, I was telling everyone how they could be spiritual yeah. and, like, reach, you know, be kind to other people. And meanwhile, I've, like, burned all my bridges yeah. and, like, <laughs> I'm miserable. And, you know, but I get drunk and I write these things on yeah. Facebook or I journal and, I know. I, think, I really appreciate some of your like, uh, <laughs> some of your, your like memories that you share. They're really good. But they remind me, like, honestly, like I'm not even there. Sometimes I read some of the stuff that I've posted in the past, mm. and I go, "Oh my god, I <laughs> I don't have it in me to share it." Like you, kudos to you. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I'm only sharing this stuff from like. So I share on Facebook sometimes these those memories from like. 12 years ago <laughs> but mind you 12 years ago i was like 15 yeah 14 and 15 so it makes sense it's okay it's excusable that stuff yeah i'm like life sucks everyone <laughs> needs to like go away <laughs> just, or the one where you, you posted one where like, <laughs> you're checking in every like 30 minutes like well, what you're doing yeah that used to be what it is it used yeah to, it, that used to be what it was it was like maris is maris is and then blah 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 mm-hmm. like it's not that anymore Mm-mm. but that's what it was so it was like is impatient <laughs> is reading a book bored <laughs> <laughs> it's like so uh, angry like <laughs> and there's like 20 of them <laughs> yes 
Um, but I like I do that to like shed a light, you know. Yeah. Like I'm still like, oh man, the way that I used to be when I was a teenager. I can't forget that. Yeah. Like, but by the time I was like 20, this is where I'm at. Like in the story, I was, and I still see these memories of like. You know, um, the other day I was walking down the street and I saw someone be nice to somebody else. Like, be nice to your fellow brothers and sisters. Uh, <laughs> like, just <laughs> I feel like a, I feel awakened just by hearing that. Yeah, right. Thank like, you. I'm going to fix you. And I got stuck in that mode of like fix, trying to fix the world yeah. around me because I was mm. so angry with the things that I saw. And um, it's just so it, it, like realizing that it's an in- inside job is like so hard. Oh, yeah. I could not see that. Or accepting it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to like skip a beat. Like I wanted to think that if I could fix everything outside of me, then I would be okay inside, you know, and, uh, man, it doesn't work that way. Now I was sharing uh, on the last podcast I did, how I tried to start a a nonprofit Mm -hmm. while I was drunk, you know, Mm -hmm. I was going to fix education in Guatemala, you know, (laughs) I wanted to do, uh, what's it called where you go to other countries and you teach english and yeah that's cool i wanted to be in the peace corps yeah i I wanted the peace corps so bad i told my family that so many times (laughs) yeah this this month i'm gonna apply but you have to be in college yeah but it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the only thing i was like failed why do i have to be in college to join the peace corps that's bullshit yeah total bullshit You know, and so I had these like grandiose ideas of fixing the world around me so that I would now be okay. Mm. And uh <laughs> never happened. That's, never happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh you know, so eventually I got into a relationship with someone who shared a lot of the same ideals but was very humble <laughs> and actually like a really, really good person. Um, and I still respect him very much. So in life, he's a very great person. And, um, and I got into a relationship with this guy and I thought, well, if I have him and I have this newfound sense of like, you know, let's fix the world around me and I have a job and I have a house now cause he let me live with him. And well now on paper, it looks like I'm okay. And then like, I'm going to be okay. Somebody loves me and, uh, you know. I'll figure this thing out. And that was the first time I tried. I had never tried to stop control or moderate the way that I drank or the way that I used drugs until I got into that relationship. Uh, you know, cause I mean, I guess the, the most that I had ever done was like, let's try not to get too drunk tonight because I have work tomorrow. But I mean, that never failed. And it was like, oh, okay, whatever, who cares? Mm-hmm. But once I got into this relationship, you know, I fell in love, you know, this guy is going to, fix me even though I didn't think that consciously but that like such in a subconscious level did I believe that this person was going to like help me and he surprisingly it it did (laughs) this relationship was like the pivotal moment um you know and so like on our third date I told him I I got really drunk at a Ty Seagal show I got in a mosh pit my little sensitive self got my feelings hurt and I ran away and I sat, (laughs) I ran down in the front quarter and sat on a stoop somewhere and cried. And he came and found me and said, what's wrong? And I looked up at him and I said, I'm an alcoholic and I need help. And it was the first time I had ever like breathed that into existence. And I was wasted at the time. And, uh, he was like, I remember him saying, okay, well, we'll get you help. And that was like, from that day on, I had tried to stop drinking. Um, and that lasted like a year 
about a year and a half of trying constantly every day to not drink. Um, and I had promised him, you know, I'd like promise him I'm not going to come home drunk and I'd go to the bar with a friend and we'd say, we're going to only drink one beer. You know, we got work in the morning. Let's <laughs> the morning, <laughs> the morning, <laughs> Let's drink one what, beer what, what and go home. I, it sounds kind of Irish. <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> we're, we're going off to work in the morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, the problem was I could never not drink until it was the morning. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and we drink a beer and, and it would turn into two, three, and now we're drinking shots and now we're running to the bathroom every 10 minutes to snort some other stuff. And, um, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning. I have work in three or four hours and, and, or my boyfriend's up waiting at home for me and he has no idea where I am. And that cycle happened like every single day mind you except for about two sometimes there were like chunks of two weeks at a time where I was able to stay sober and those were the most miserable times Hmm. I remember being in the bathtub once stark sober it had been a few days maybe a week maybe at the end of two and I was curled in the fetal position just like so uncomfortable in my skin like I could I was starting to have panic attacks during this year where I was trying to quit and um and I was just miserable sober I mean I'm miserable sober I can't take the world I can't take myself um I hate who I am I hate the things that I've done and so quickly after that I drank again and I just continued to do that for this period of time and um you know then that and that is gets close to when I stopped and uh or I guess when I got when I stopped drinking alcohol, um, I had gone out to some bar. It wasn't a spectacular story. I, I got really, really drunk. I wound up in a car to some apartment and woke up with a bunch of coke on the table and around a room that I did not recognize with people I did not recognize and um, and just like came out of this blackout thinking like, what the fuck am I doing? Mm. Like, what the fuck is going on? And um you know, cause I had promised him and I had promised myself and my like deepest innermost self. I'm not going to do this again. Like I can't do this again. And at four or five in the morning, some taxi drove me home and dropped me off at home. And I got in bed with my partner at the time and, um, and cried and had panic attacks. Cause just whew, the state that I was in and I couldn't sleep. I had done so much cocaine oh, and, sounds- <laughs> Yeah, and he's, you know, lying there heartbroken. And so I lay there until the morning time. I think I slept for maybe an hour and I wake up and he's next to me and I just turn over and like the look on his face I'll never forget was just awful. Um, And I said, you know, I can't do this anymore. I'm moving out, um, but I can't do this to you anymore. And he was like, yeah, (laughs) like I can't either. And he was such, he was this guy who like, I don't know if he was ever going to have the courage to tell me like, I can't do this with you anymore. Um, And, uh, and yeah, so from there, uh, I spent like three days in bed, like trying wrestling with like, what is my next move? You know, I can't live sober. I don't know how to be sober. It's painful. I'm having panic attacks all the time. I can hardly breathe, but I know that I can't drink anymore. Like I know that I can't put stuff in my body anymore. 
um, because it always turns out bad. And, um, you know, I was sick of waking up like, yeah, I forgot to mention the stuff of like, you know, when you're a blackout drinker, you wake up not knowing what you did. So I'd wake up and not know if I had like, I would remember like running around the front of my car every morning. I woke up blackout, not knowing how I got home, trying to check and make sure my car was still in one piece. If it was even at my house, do you have my keys, my wallet, my ID? Did I kill anybody last night? Cause I drove under the influence, you know, did I harm somebody? Did I, yeah. I just horrified. And I was so lucky. Like I, I don't even know if to call it luck. It, there, I don't think, I don't know if it was God. I really do think it was a stroke of luck or something like that. I don't know. Cause I don't know why some of us get into those types of situations and some of us don't. Yeah. Um, I think if I had continued, it was inevitable. And, um, and man, I was just tired. Like, like that is the pain that I'm waking up with every day. You know, like who did I hurt? Um, and I mean so many other things. Um, you know, and so like, I couldn't, I couldn't bear to be in my own skin and I was getting pretty, like it was dark. Like those three days were pretty dark. Um, you know, do I live? Do I die? (laughs) If I'm going to live, how am I going to live? If I'm going to end it, like, how do I end it? You know? And, um, uh, that was when I walked into the first, um, 12 step program meeting Uh a few days later. All right. You want to take a break there? Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Yay! Okay. We're back from break after a few vape clothes. (laughs) 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 So embarrassing. Uh. What kind of uh? Okay. That's like one <laughs> thing I'm so embarrassed about that what? I vape, <laughs> but I like have to. Yeah. yeah. What, what uh? What flavor is that? It's called Lava Flow. Lava Flow. And it's pineapple, strawberry, and coconut. I like the fruity stuff. Oh, Lava Flow, pineary, pineary. <laughs> <laughs> pineapple, coconut, and strawberry. Yeah. Okay. Because pineapple and coconut makes sense. Pina colada. Because it's, you know, from, you, you could imagine it in an island with a volcano. Yeah, lava flow, yeah. But then the strawberry doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't really fit. Do they have strawberries in Hawaii? <laughs> I have a friend I could ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you, you know some people in Hawaii? I do, actually. Do you ever think, like... If I go to Hawaii, like I, have, I have a place to stay. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, she lives here now. <laughs> oh, that's like the first thing I think of when I have a, a friend in a, in a in a cool city. I'm like, I have a place to stay. Like, yeah. like they want me to stay at their place. Do you ever go? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But no, look, I'm thinking about going to um, New York. Oh, cool. And I know people there now, and like in. You know, you, you whenever you have a friend there, they're like they're always like, "Man, come on down. Mm-hmm. You have a place to stay." But they don't mean that. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, "Hey, I'm coming," and they're like, "Oh, can you get a hotel?" <laughs> <laughs> or they may not say it, but no, like, even no. the, even so, like you don't, I don't. You always feel like you're imposing, and yeah. then like, and then also like, I don't necessarily want them tagging along on my vacation. <laughs> yeah, it's like your vacation. <laughs> yeah, like I have there's 
I'm like, yeah, I just don't, there's, there's, I just don't want like extra people on my vacation, but I want to stay at your place. That's very selfish of me. Yeah. It's almost like, well, it would be fair if you're like, well, I'll just pay you and just don't talk to me. (laughs) It'd be like a B and B. Just go to an Airbnb. That's not rude at all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Airbnb is the way to travel though. I'm not, not a sponsor of the show, but I've never stayed in one yet. Oh man, they're so cheap. I'm hoping to. There's one next door to me. Hotels make no sense. No, and I've looked at Airbnb. It looks very yeah. nice. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of times they look nicer than they actually are. Yeah, I have no experience. I'm sure you have <laughs> more <laughs> experience with that. But then sometimes you, you stay, and sometimes so. Like, I don't know why we're going into this field. <laughs> <laughs> They're just fun ways to stay in a place where you get to actually meet with like a local, somebody mm-hmm. from there. You get like, I feel some of the most relevant uh, recommendations. Yeah. Um, and it's not a hotel, which is, you know, a hundred bucks for a, a motel a night. Yeah. And they push all those amenities that you don't use anyway. Yeah. Like who goes to, the, I'm sorry, I don't. Who goes to the <laughs> gym? <laughs> <laughs> on vacation i do sometimes i i wish that i did whenever i'm in a workout routine i make sure i work out when i'm on vacation because i know i'm gonna eat again. like crap yeah i'm yeah. gonna eat whatever because i'm on vacation and i want to sample the fare i look up to you for that yeah because i so i'll try to go out. on a run you know do something and if they have a gym at the airbnb <laughs> <laughs> i use it it'd be very nice <laughs> if they did yeah so anyways <laughs> <laughs> so back to the podcast back to the podcast about recovery and if anybody that works for airbnb wants to sponsor the cast uh holler at your boy holler <laughs> at your people 50 listeners an episode <laughs> thank you very much hey <laughs> better than none yeah no i think if it even stays at 50 it's worth doing yeah because this is worth doing this Heck is yeah. you know if it's if it's 10 people listening and one person getting hope out of it yeah keep doing it so let's get to the stuff that gives hope cool <laughs> so i i walk into a meeting um of this 12-step program and uh yeah man it was like walking into another world because you know everyone in there is sober. Is this here? This is here in New Orleans, and yeah. a, a place that no longer is a, a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it had been a meeting for a, quite a long time, and um, and so I walk into this place, and you know, ninety percent of the people, I'm guessing ninety nine percent of the people are sober. And they're all happy and they all know each other. And I just kind of walk in and I sit in the back. And I had been to AA meet. I had been to meetings before. Mm-hmm. Um, way back when I was like 18 or 19, I guess, 1920, when I was in that relationship with the guy who I, you know, did a lot of drugs with. And um, because he had to go to, to meetings. Um, and so I went with him. In I, New Orleans. In New Orleans. Yeah. Well, mm, Yes, in New Orleans, but we always went in Mandeville across the lake um, to this one place and we would go sometimes, you know, he had to get his paper signed every day. um, And sometimes if he didn't go every day, we have to go like three or four meetings a day. Wow. Yeah. And I did that with him for three months. So at one point in time, I failed to mention, like I had been sober for three months. Oh, 
So on, you stayed sober. I stayed sober for three months before I ever, before I ever thought that it was a problem. Yeah. Like I thought, well, he has to be sober, so I'll just do this for him and support him because I'm a really good codependent. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and you had that drug. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I had him. So yeah. and he fed everything I needed. So if he has to be sober, I'll do it too, mm-hmm. and just show him that I can support him and. And, you know, deep down in my head, I thought, well, like, you know, if I can be sober for three months and I definitely don't have a problem, like, you know, I definitely don't. Yeah. So I did that. And so I had been slightly familiar with the meetings and um, that there are chips and that there's a formation to sharing um, and and these meetings. And, um, and so I, it was a little familiar, you know, it wasn't like a whole new territory. It wasn't like college first day. No, not like college first day, but it was also in a new city yeah. with new people. And people from New Orleans are way cooler than people in Mandeville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and, uh, Matt, Matt would disagree, but yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. North shore, Matt. And, uh, and the thing that was different though. So like, I knew that I could slip in the back and sit and nobody would probably talk to me cause they hadn't really, they had at the other meetings, but usually after and when we're smoking cigarettes. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll go to this meeting. I mean, I don't even remember how it happened. I just, I got out of bed that day, like three days later, it was March 6th of 2015. Um, and that I had stopped. It was my first day sober from alcohol and, um, but not weed, but it was the beginning of recovery. And so I walk into a meeting three days later and I, you know, at the beginning of the meeting, they ask, is this anyone's first ever meeting? And I raised my hand because I thought they said, you know, first time here or something. So I raised my hand and another guy raised his hand. And then I realized they said first meeting. And I was like, I've been in meetings before. Like, uh, <laughs> you did know? You like excuse me, like halfway through the meeting. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. Uh, I just want to cor- <laughs> correct that. I've been to meetings before. I yeah. thought you guys were saying. <laughs> I know what this whole thing is about. So, no, I didn't because I was so afraid. Like you I thought was, about it. Yeah, I oh, you, totally you thought about to. it. Yeah, like <laughs> let me just let them all know that I'm a veteran in here <laughs> and uh but I didn't you know and I sat and I was quiet and some guy was it was bread day um which was where like it was um, I think it was a Monday where everyone they would bring this big giant crate of bread so I sat down and some guy approached me and said hey how are you and asked my name and I told him my name and he said it's uh is this your first time here I said yeah and he said it's bread day do you want some bread and I was thinking why are these people being so nice to me they don't know me so they were giving you bread yeah that's interesting it's like do you know that I have no money like (laughs) (laughs) that I'm like about to leave my apartment and um but no so I mean he was super friendly he sat next to me the entire meeting he was an older guy and I had found out later on he's like he was an old timer Mm. um and he had a lot a lot of years in recovery and I'm sure he could see it all over me and uh and he he kind of like talked to me during the meeting it was like you know it's going to be okay because i was shaking i mean i was just like miserable and stuck in all my own stuff and um you know and so we raised our hands yes it's our first meeting and they end up dedicating the meeting to or like turning the meeting to a first step you know so i'm powerless and yeah and um 
And so everyone shared their experiences. Everyone talked about the way that they drank and they talked about recovery, but mostly they talked about the way that they drank and thank God for that because it helped me identify. And so I identified with them like I had years ago, you know, but I hadn't identified to the point that I did now, you know, at 23 years old, I super identify with the way that these people drank when they start, they can't stop. Um, and all these crazy things seem to happen. And, uh, and so I sat and I, and I, you know, I left immediately after the meeting and I, and, you know, I was kind of creeped out by it. There are certain things I was creeped out by, you know, I, I'm like this wildflower and I want to be unique and different. And these people are like holding hands and saying things in unison. And it all seemed very strange (laughs) to me. And, um, and, you know, oddly enough, the next day I went back and the day after that I went back and, um, I really had nowhere else to be and nowhere else to go. And in the back of my mind, I thought, well, I'll just, you know, if I keep going to these meetings and I stay sober from alcohol, cause I didn't think that weed was a problem for me yet. Um, then I'll be able to win my relationship back, hmm. you know? So that was like my gunning point. I thought that, you know, I could get sober for that. And uh, what I've learned is that it doesn't matter what gets you into uh, the rooms or what gets you into sobriety or recovery. Like it, it's what I've learned. It's like, what actions do I take after that? And yeah. I can stay sober. Um, Cause you have people saying, you know, you can't get sober for somebody else. And like in that moment, I, I kind of was trying yeah. to, I mean, at the end of the day, what is, what are the right motives to get yeah. to come into? I mean, and does anybody have, the motive that's going to keep them sober. No. I mean, for me, it was fear. Yeah. Fear doesn't keep me sober. Fear no. gets me there though. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. The fear got me there, but the motive to stay was totally different than that moment that I felt in the bed that day of like, I can't do this anymore. You know? So I kept going and, uh, yeah, I think two weeks go by and they had talked about, you know, you should get a sponsor. And I got tired of people asking me if I had a sponsor. And, um, and so I was sitting outside one day and some woman approached me and she said, and she was younger and she said, uh, how you doing? And I said, like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> she was like, no, I mean, like, how are you doing? And I was, and then, so I told her, you know, I, I told her all the stuff that was going on. My boyfriend like left or I left him cause I'm a mess. And, uh, she related to me and she sat there and she talked to me and, and, um, she just got on my level. Like that's, that's what happened. She got on my level. Mm. And, um, you know, I had found out that she had like six or seven years sober at that time. And like a couple weeks later, I'm still going to these meetings, not really knowing what's going on. And, um, you know, the, the cool things happen when you get sober in the first couple months and the first few weeks, even, you know, you're waking up a little bit more clear minded you know, I'm still miserable. I haven't fixed anything yet. Nothing's been changed. I haven't invited and, any kind of higher power into my life. But like, you know, I have a little bit more money in the bank because I'm not spending that at the bar. And, uh, you know, I I remember feeling like I'm doing these good things. Like, this is awesome. (laughs) But I still felt a little miserable. And, um, and, you know, something had happened. I can't remember now. It's insignificant now. But at the time, it's felt like the world was falling apart. And I went to this really late night meeting. And um, 
I asked for, the, I said, does anybody know this woman? I need her phone number now. The, the woman that came up to you? Yeah. Awesome. And um, someone did. They gave me her phone number. And somehow, I don't remember exactly, but I got in contact with her and asked her to be my sponsor. And she said, are you willing to go to any length for your recovery? And I was like, Probably not. Uh, <laughs> you, know? you tell her that? No, I thought that. <laughs> uh, I was say, that was a really honest answer. Yeah. No, I said, yes. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh. You know, and I did that for a long time. I just said, yes, I'll do whatever you say. And she said, well, you need to read the first 164 pages of this, t- this text and then uh, call me after you're done. And so for seven months, I smoked weed and I tried to read this book oh. <laughs> You know, and I kept going to meetings and I wasn't in recovery yet. You know, I I did not think that alcohol, I thought that alcohol was my problem, that weed was not. And um, what I learned or what I noticed over that period of time of being in so many meetings and being surrounded by people talking about the way that they used, that I was smoking the same way that I drank, that I had to. And by this time, like, it's funny, I heard somebody mention this. Uh, in one of your your um, episodes, weed was turning against me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like at the, the seven months, like every time I smoked, I felt guilty and awful and paranoid and just uh-huh. like it was not comfortable, but I kept doing it. And I kept going to meetings during this time too. So I'm like, Oh God, did you go to the meetings high? Oh no. That's how I, that's how I justified myself. Yeah. You know, I'm not going there high. I'd smoke four hours earlier, wait until it faded off. And then I'd go to a meeting and then I'd go pick up from somebody after the meeting and go smoke until I went to sleep. And I'd just sit in my own shit, you know, like (laughs) I'm in meetings, but I'm smoking weed and like, is that okay? And Um, you know, eventually, eventually I stopped. Eventually I realized people that I was, it was really an ego thing. Like people that I had just walked in with me were sober. They had months under their belt and they were like starting to, I was starting to see something happen in them that wasn't happening in me. Hmm. Um, you know, I had not changed anything. I just started going and sitting in this place every day. Yeah. And then they, they started doing work they started doing work yeah yeah and i hadn't done any work yeah they know? they didn't just not like smoke weed yeah right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they I, didn't I, just I, not drink and go to meetings yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like the, the 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 difference wasn't just that they weren't smoking weed no it was like they were also doing something else yeah and they were talking yeah. about those things in meetings mm-hmm. and i i couldn't i couldn't talk about those things because i wasn't doing those things yeah and, um, and so, you know, I, I remember I, I got, I got really high one night and I wrote down in my phone, like a few reasons why I never want to smoke again. And, uh, you know, I said, you don't even really like it. It's in my old phone. <laughs> you don't even really like it. It makes you paranoid and it gives you anxiety. And, um, and I said, okay, well, this is the day I'm going to stop. And so I, that is my new sobriety day. It's October 6th of 2015. Mm. And, um, and I haven't picked up a drink or drug since that day. And, um, which that'll be what? Three years, those set four years, four years this four, year. Four years. So three and a half. I think I just yeah. made like three and right in the half. Yeah. Um, so, so it did the same to you. Like, cause I think in the, the episode you're talking about, like I got, I said mm-hmm. that I had to drink first because it removed my anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then when I smoked, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, by then I wasn't drinking anymore. I was yeah. just smoking. <laughs> <And> it was <laughs> awful. 
like that like if i got high today it would be the worst thing ever like well i think marijuana and like i think it's considered a psychedelic like yeah like i guess psychoactive properties yeah and what i always say is like if you got some shit if you got some shit with you that you ain't dealing with Mm marijuana is gonna show it to you or at least to me it did yeah like it would like if i was like if i was behind on some bill Mm -hmm. like that was just that i'd that i'd just finally given up on like that would be like dude your credit yeah your credit bro you're never gonna buy a house (laughs) you're never gonna buy a car ever ever There's no coming back from this. No, not yeah. At all. And I couldn't even be like comfortable around my friends. Like I couldn't, I did not like to smoke with people anymore. So mm. I would just smoke in my room by myself, but then I would like look at my windows and, um, you know, if I smoke with my friends, I think like, Oh, did I say something stupid? And do they think that I'm weird? And just and like, just s- obsess over that. Oh, oh my God. So self-obsessed. Yeah. You know, what do you think about me? And, oh, just stuck in that. And I was sick of that. I was just yeah. so sick of that. And so it, it occurred to me, like, maybe I should stop smoking. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I did. And But I didn't tell anybody, right? Like, I kept picking up chips. Like, I'm I, during that seven months, I'm picking up sober chips. Yeah. And I'm speaking in meetings. And I have a commitment in my home group. Like, I, I'm not working steps. <laughs> <laughs> but you're like... But I'm like, yeah. You're sharing. Did you get asked to, like, moderate stuff? Yeah. Or you're just up there talking about, like, well, yeah not drinking and um, open it up for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first time I was asked to moderate, I had this whole list of things I was going to say. And I was like, I told him all the awful things that these awful things happened to me. And this is why that I drank, you know, like yeah. I had no clue. Yeah. Um, I thought that the way that life happened, like I thought life happened to me and I was just responding appropriately. Yeah. You know, and I, I didn't know yet. I hadn't learned yet. I hadn't worked any steps. I hadn't done any work. Yeah. And uh, so sick, very sick. And, um, you know, and so I stopped smoking. I keep picking up chips. And um, but what changed is I started to work steps with my sponsor. Um, <laughs> and uh and um <laughs> yeah and i just remember this woman she she'd say so, a spon- so what maybe just t- say what a sponsor is yeah so a sponsor is somebody who has worked whatever program um and uh has experience in that program and has been brought through the steps by another person mm-hmm. um and, and and pays you to wear their logo on your on your shirt yeah they pay you <laughs> it's a really big deal that's how you make money when you're new <laughs> They don't pay you (laughs) just for those who don't know. Um, Yeah. And they, and they meet with you, you know, and you're surprised when they show up because you don't want them to at all. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they share their experience and, um, and she saved my life. Um, And was this the same girl original? Yeah. That, that sat down next to me and talked Mm. to me. Um, she saved my life. I mean, I know that's a big thing to say, but if she had not stepped in, you know, I think, you know, well, let's not get into all that, but she did. She played a huge part in, um, saving my, my ass. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and she met with me, um, consistently weekly. And we started reading, um, out of our literature, we started reading out of the book and, uh, we started to identify, you know, with this phenomenon of craving, um, and, uh, the, you know, 
physical, mental, and spiritual malady. And, um, and she, man, she just related with me. And, uh, she told me that, you know, I wasn't going to be doing any of this stuff for my, I mean, yeah, to keep me sober, but that I was going to eventually pass this stuff on to another woman, um, or another person. And that is like the purpose that you're doing this so that we can give you purpose in life. You know, we're going to work these steps and you're going to give purpose or have purpose and send this message to somebody else. And I thought, well, that's silly, but I'll do it anyway. You know, and so like in the beginning, like through these, this, this period of time, we're working steps and not really knowing what's going on. I'm just kind of like nodding my head and saying yes. And I don't know why, like I, I still to this day can't fathom like why I went along with all of it. (laughs) Like what? I think that it like, seems absurd. It seems so absurd. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know if it's that desperation. I don't know, you know, the desperation of a dying man. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, cause like it said, who really wants to do a self seeking, you know, who really wants to look at themselves, especially mm. the alcoholic. Yeah. And, um, do you want to post, inspirational quotes on facebook That's yeah what you want to do don't look at me look at the world <laughs> and it's wrong and fix it you know and so to look at myself was something i had never done like never really done yeah. especially with another person alongside me it's just doubly hard i think yeah you know and when i'm new well, i don't I, I will maybe doubly hard but more actually easy or when they tell you that they've done the same things you have yeah. and you believe them yeah i'm willing to tell you some stuff about me yeah it seems like it would be harder to like involve somebody else in the process like oh, yeah I'm, you know well you know and that thing she told me call me call me every day yeah and i didn't i didn't eventually i did when things got bad but you know it was that building of a relationship because i couldn't trust people i had stolen from so many people and done so many bad things that i could not trust other people i thought that the world reflected like you know if i steal then like you're gonna steal from me um and so or if if you're gonna uh you know if i'm gonna gossip about you you're gonna gossip about me and so to trust this other person was a process you know and i think that's why she call me every day stay accountable let's build this relationship and um you know eventually i did yeah i think it gets lost that part of it because you hear Call me every day, mm-hmm. and and it sounds like like a command. <laughs> it sounds like if you don't call me every day, you're not gonna, you know, I'm gonna be real mad at mm-hmm. you. <laughs> and it's not that it it's literally it's so we can build this relationship yeah. and build the trust, so we can open up to each other and save our each other's asses. Yeah, yeah. And she was so loving about it. Yeah. I mean, she never was like, "Why didn't you call me?" Mm-hmm. She was like, "I'm here when you need me. It's your recovery. You can come get it." you know, but I'm here. Yeah. And so when I showed up, she showed up and, um, and yeah, I mean, she took me through these steps and like the guy, like, man, and you know, there's a step about God you know, and, uh, am I willing to turn my will and my life over to the care of God? And, um, and I like, I did not, you know, I was not about that. I had read these spiritual texts and I, you know, I'm, trying to be you know the next buddha or something but like this idea of a god um i couldn't get with but she explained to me it's like as you understand it whatever it is you know it's your conception and and you know we wrote a list i could admit that i was powerless i could admit that i had problems 
um, you know, by that point in time. So like we just pushed on to the next steps and, um, you know, and she had me write a list of like what my God is and what my God isn't. And, uh, for the first time I was looking at something that like I could get down with, you know, this, this God idea that maybe I was not taught, but that I perceived as a kid, like did not work for me. I thought that it was like punishing and, um, you know, and so like, I didn't really believe in it, but she said, are you willing to believe? I said, sure. And she said, well, then we're just going to keep going. So I said, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah. And, um, so that's, that's all really like comforting to know that you can just keep going without like, you know, having an exact idea of what it is you believe. Oh yeah. Yeah. And don't get bogged down on that. Like I, I have to know exactly what it is. Oh, and I did. I yeah. mean, I remember being in meetings being like, I don't know what God is and I don't want to. And yeah. you know, how do I know? And she was, she was just like, man, it doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> just let's keep, are you willing? And I was like, yeah, okay. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. So we did. And, you know, we moved on to writing that inventory. And, um, and by this time, you know, I had lied about smoking weed. No one knows yet, you know. And she doesn't know. And she obviously. doesn't know. I'm sure people knew or had an idea, um, you know, but I had never Has gotten honest. told you that they knew? Uh, I've had people be like, Oh, I had a feeling, uh-huh. you know, but like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so my, f- my, my inventory was incredibly extensive because I had to write down everything that I've ever done so that I didn't have to say that I had lied about getting uh, high. <laughs> so it's like 50 pages and like smoke screens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm mad at Sally in first grade. She pulled my hair, you know, yeah. like I'm writing anything down, um, to make it look like I did hard work, but I was, you know, I was thorough. I just didn't put that down. And, um, man, that kept me sick. Like to, to lie is something like when you get sober, you have this conscious now. And I'm thinking, even if I haven't done work, I know what I've done. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting thinking like I'm a fraud, I'm a liar and I'm trying to work these steps. And, and so like, eventually, you know, we get to the fifth step and I tell her all the things, um, I tell her all my fears. I tell her who I've had sexual relationships with and how I've been selfish in those. And, um, you know, that was a big one for me. Um, as a woman, I thought that I was a victim to a lot, a lot of things. Um, but if I looked at it honestly, like we did, I learned (laughs) that I had used most of these people for things, you know, that it was not the other way around that I knew exactly what I was doing. Um, you know, and so this, this inventory gives me a chance to look at myself, um, and swallow a few chunks of truth. And, um, you know, and I told her all my resentments and the people I was angry with and, and, you know, I got to see, she, she put me in my place. You know, I told her I was angry about something and she was like, no, 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 boo, boo. Like you got the ball rolling. And she was real with me. You know, she didn't tell me the truth. Um, I mean, she told me the truth, even if it hurt my feelings. Cause she's like, I'm not here to, you know, spare your feelings. I'm here to tell you the truth. And it's going to hurt. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I think I know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She was hard. She was hardcore. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, so, you know, when I was angry about something, you know, I had a lot of anger about my childhood and, and specifically my parents. And, um, 
and she got me to see like you know you scared the hell out of them like look at the things that you have caused you know and um look at the way look at how alcoholism has played a part in this stuff mm-hmm. and uh you know and so we move on to six and seven we move on to the you know the steps about my my defects of character i i got to look at you know the fact that i'm incredibly full of self-pity I'm incredibly full of fear. I'm scared of everything. I'm self-righteous. These are like my major defects. I think that I'm better than you. Um, But I also think that I'm like the worst person in the world. And like I'm so less than you. Um, You know, and she had me like, I mean, she she kind of explained to me that, um, you know, I don't really have any place in like removing my defects of character um, she had me try to act out the opposite of, you know, so if I've noticed I'm being self-centered or selfish, um, try to be loving that day or, or generous or, um, ask somebody else how they're doing. And she, she made me do that stuff all the time, you know, and I just did it. Like I just did it. She'd say, I'd call her with a problem and she'd say, okay, well get off the phone with me and call three women and ask them how the fuck they're doing. Like get out of your head. And um, you know, I didn't do that always, but I, I began to, and, um, and man, we moved through, you know, I gotta write down all the things that I had done, like all the people that I had harmed and the places that I had harmed. And, um, and there were people, places and things. <laughs> and, um, that was almost worse than the fourth step because the four, the, you know, writing my inventory was about, who she told she told me this is like your bitch list you can bitch as much as you want on this list and then we're gonna find out what your part is yeah um but you know right now those that i had harmed was that's only my part and and it requires action that's like yeah pretty scary next step is approaching so what is what are those steps say them the eighth step eight and nine Eight and nine. So, uh, make a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or yeah. others. And those steps in a vacuum by themselves, holy shit. Terrifying. Yeah. That's why I need one through seven. Wow, right? Yeah. <laughs> if I don't have that, and she'd tell me that. I mean, the whole way through, I'm like, I can't do amends. I can't do this. And she's like, girl, you are on step three. Like yeah, you don't right. have the tools. Like that, yeah, you that can't. Moment, you're right. 100%. <laughs> you're right. You cannot do it right now as you, as you stand. No, but there, it's true though. Something happens along the way, uh, that prepares you for that. You yeah. Know? And I, and I know that like hearing people talk about making the amends in the beginning, can be it's like if somebody's out there listening going no i ain't doing that Oof. if you think you've done some stuff that nobody else has done i have news for you there's a, a lot of degenerates <laughs> who are sober today roaming around <laughs> yeah <laughs> who have like done you know i mean obviously we don't know what everybody's done but pretty much everything in the book has been yeah. done by people who are sober and alcoholics anonymous and people have made amends for those things yeah so, absolutely yeah you know, and, um, yeah, I mean, the first amends I made, I was like, you know, three months sober and I told my boyfriend I had cheated on him. <laughs> oh, I was not on any steps. I shouldn't have done that. No. And I call her and I say, you're never going to guess what I did. Oh. <laughs> She's like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> I made amends to my boyfriend <laughs> and it oh, went really well. God damn. Was that was like, like so what? much harm done. What? Yeah. <laughs> 
stop what you're doing now. You know, don't ever do that again. Wow. I was like, why? Just bursted your bubble, huh? Yeah. <laughs> she was like, man, you got lucky. You got lucky because you don't have the tools for that. Wow. And she was like, and that's probably not how we'd handle it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And even so, if like, poor guy. Yeah. Poor guy. Man, poor guy. <laughs> you laid that on him. He's a saint. Uh, I love him. <laughs> he, such a good guy. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh. Yeah, and so I'm still, by the way, I had gotten my relationship back. So I'm in a relationship during my first year of recovery. With the same guy. With the yeah. same guy. Yeah. The same guy. And, uh, you know, so so, <laughs> so I make that amends. Eventually I get to the real amends. And, um, man, they, they say, like, that's where the, you know, I hear a lot of people say that that's where they find relief. I didn't get relief after my fifth step. I, I had this tiny spiritual moment where I was like in the car on my way home from that step and telling this woman all the things. And this song came on um, by Sia, Breathe Breathe Me or something. I had never heard of before. Sia. Oh, Sia. Yeah. Oh, she's good, huh? Yeah. What is it? She's got a few songs that I love. The really Chandelier like. song and all that stuff. Is that the one with uh with Shia LaBeouf? They're yes, where they're like th- wrestling in a cage. He was in a lot of her videos, and that little girl, yeah, with the cool yeah, she's like an incredible dancer. Yeah, yeah, it's well that artist came on my I was like Pandora, you know, shuffle. I've been saying Saya, Saya. Maybe prob- it is Saya. No, no, that's probably not. Let's assume you're right. I don't, I don't <laughs> know. Don't right. give me credit because <laughs> probably wrong. I had to learn that too. I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> so the song came on and I was like, you know, if you, you go read the lyrics if you want, but it's, um, you know, it says something like hold me, breathe, you know, I've, I've hurt myself again. And I felt like that, like, man, I've just hurt myself so long and I've heard so many people and, uh, all right. And so like, I felt something, but it wasn't grand. It was very short lived. And I was like, okay. And I did cry, cried a little bit in my car. You know, I sat in the driveway and I waited until the song was over and I got in and I was like, okay, whatever. I rubbed it off. And, um, you know, and so we keep working steps and now we're at amends and, um, I made some small amends at first. Um, I got the opportunity to go to Florida and make some amends to a close friend um, because I had done some harm. I got drunk and punched his girlfriend in the face because mm-hmm. I was jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool behavior. And, um, you know, I got a, I Did got you punch a, a lot of people when you were drunk. She's the only one. She was <laughs> my only casualty. <laughs> it was, that I know of, that yeah. I know of, you know, a lot of blackouts, no, a lot light, of blackouts, no roughed up knuckles coming out of blackouts. Yes, but I was angry. I mean, I would get drunk and I'd punch stuff. Yeah, I punch, punch walls. walls, granite countertops. Yeah, you know, so punching a wall always like, for some, what is the allure of punching a wall? I don't know. It's like the anger's got to get out of you. Yeah. It's got to come somewhere. But it's such a dumb move. It's so it's dumb. The dumbest move. And when you see someone <laughs> do it, you're like, what, what a dummy. Like, <laughs> you're going to break your hand? Yeah. <laughs> like, punch something soft. Yeah, like a pillow. But even that's <laughs> dumb. Like, just maybe don't. <laughs> Go to the gym. I mean, I could see punching like a pillow because mm-hmm. it's like you're releasing it, but like a wall, man. Yeah. But you know what's really cool is whenever you punch a wall and you hit the. Uh, 
you hit the, the sweet spot mm-hmm. on the not the, the drywall on the drywall and you bust a hole through it yeah. and it doesn't hurt you really feel like a badass that's mm. really the reason why you punch walls is that hopefully you punch through the drywall i don't think i was ever that cool to punch through <laughs> drywall i just punched hard things yeah. <laughs> and like my steering wheel a lot you yeah. know but uh yeah so i had to go make an amends for that <laughs> and and um you know she told me you know like we don't we don't we don't cry during our amends like we don't beg for forgiveness um but i but you know it it happened i i what her point was i don't get on my knees and say please 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 yeah. forgive me because i'm such a bad person and don't put on the cry no yeah. no i mean if it's if it if it comes you can't control it yeah it's genuine. Yeah. But don't be like, and, uh, and uh, I'm so Pity me. Yeah. You. Yeah. <laughs> like, she was like, none of that shit, you know? And uh, because I had done that so many times, yeah. you know, I'm full of self pity. It's a manipulation technique. It's total manipulation. Yeah. You know, and she, we're not going to engage in that. And so, you know, I'm, when I made this amends, I did cry, but out of this weird place of, I don't know, it just. It just happened mm-hmm. and uh and it was emotional and you know he was like yeah man it's okay and i was like were oh. they still together no no oh, made no. it easier yeah You're like she i don't like her anymore. yeah <laughs> 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 and uh <laughs> yeah and he was like no man it's okay it's no no harm no foul and, and it was like nothing to him to me it was like but that was your first one that was my first one i think so oh yeah it, one first. of the first ones yeah um that's not a family member. It's not a family member. Yeah, like that's, like those are harder. Like family members I, are like just kind of gravy. For me, where they were not gravy, but you know, your family. I didn't do them until later on. Yeah. Till the I went through the steps a second time because what happened was is I got through this first set of steps, and you know I you know we we bop through ten eleven you know uh, the maintenance steps of um, you know taking regular inventory. And, uh, you know, in the present moment, you know, was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or I'm afraid. And, um, and that 11 step of meditation and, and, you know, trying to connect so I could meditate. Right. Cause I was, I was trying to be spiritual in my previous life. And so I liked that part. I could do that. And, um, and then I got to step 12 and that was where things got like tricky because she said, well, now it's time for you to go help other women and, and you know, share them what you've learned and what you found here in your experience. Mm-hmm. And I had this deep rooted sense of shame because I had lied. I wasn't a year and a half sober. Oh, you st- so at this I point, still, you still had not gotten honest. Clean. Yeah. I, I yeah. missed that. It went over my head. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, I had hoped that it had gone over everyone's uh, heads. Well, you would have fooled me if I'd have sponsored you. Yeah. But the thing is, yeah, is I like, I would have been patting you on the back. And <laughs> yeah. This is my, this is my protege. <laughs> Yeah, She's man. Doing all the right stuff. And I think, <laughs> she, you know, and she, I, when I finally got on, she said, I always wondered if there was something. Because, you know, I, I, I always just kind of like inside I was fighting everything, but on the outside I was just doing it. And uh-huh. I felt guilty. I felt this deep sense of shame about this lie. And I had never felt that before. I mean, I guess I had, I guess I had felt guilty about things I had done, but I had not been sober for a period of time to feel that bad about something. And this is a lie that's like, 
I mean, it goes against everything that you're doing. <laughs> everything that I'm doing, right? Yeah. Like I'm starting to have these like small spiritual experiences and I'm starting to connect with people and um and I'm like wanting to hate all of it at the same time, but it's happening regardless. And how long uh, without weed was it? It was eight months okay. when I finally got on it. So, um, yeah. And so I, I told her, it was like, she said, okay, we're on step 12. We read through all this stuff, you know. We read through having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps to carry this message to other alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. And that was what got me. Like, number one, I couldn't transmit this because I didn't have it. And number two, how am I going to practice this if I haven't fully practiced it? I've been I've been dishonest. And a couple weeks went by. What happened was I got my first sponsee. This woman called me on the phone Um my sponsor at the time, I got me in touch with this woman. She was much older. I think she was in her late fifties, early sixties. She had had two years sober, but had never worked any steps in any program. And, uh, she asked me to sponsor and I had a conversation with her on the phone and I said, sure, I will. And she said, look, I'm desperate. I'm miserable. And I can't do this much longer. I said, okay, we'll get you through these steps. I said, read, I did exactly what my sponsor did with me. And a week later I got a call from my sponsor and uh, she said, I'm sorry to tell you, but um, this woman committed suicide last night. She killed herself. And um, I took that personally. I took it as, I know that I did not kill this woman. But I mean, yeah. But I took it as, man, it scared the shit out of me. It's serious. It scared it, it the really hell out of re- me. It really showed you how serious, like. This thing's life some, or death. And if somebody's asking you for help. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I wasn't equipped to say yes. And I did, mm. you know, and I don't think there was anything I could have done between the day that I talked to her and the seven days later when she, when she shot herself. Um, but the, the guilt was like at a breaking point. And wow. I thought, man, I've been dishonest. And this woman just was just trying to get help. And she, like, this thing's no joke. What they say in these meetings is true. You know, like either I do this, this work and I get well or I'm miserable. And I mean, that's what I'm told, you know, we wind up in jails, institutions, death, or we live a miserable life, um, and die the alcoholic death. And it scared the shit out of me. And, um, I got honest. I, I, it wasn't immediately, it was a couple days later and I finally told her, you know, I've been lying and I can't do this anymore. I mean, like I cannot live with myself with this lie anymore. And, um, that was like my, the, that was like the pivotal moment of recovery. You know, it's where it turned into like, this stuff is, this stuff is real. Yeah. How did that feel? Man. Oh my God. Like the, I could almost feel it now (laughs) thinking about it. Having that lifted from you? This giant sense of relief. My Lord. I could just about imagine. When I told her, she said, you must feel so relieved. I'm very happy you've gotten that off your back. Wow. And I was like, wow, you're not mad at me? You know, yeah. I, I thought that people <laughs> were going to hate me. Yeah. You're out of, you're kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so self-centered. I think you're going to be angry with me, you know? And yeah. she wasn't. And nobody was. I had to go to meetings. I went to a few meetings that I had been to and I had picked up chips and I got honest and I said, I shared, I said, I've been lying to you guys. And, you know, I told him what was up and, um, not one person was mean or rude. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause like something like that, people applaud that. And people are like, man, yeah, I bet you feel better. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's almost like, 
you, you when you hear somebody does do that, mm -hmm. you go, man, you feel you 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 know that the experience they're having is 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 so like I want to say important, but important, yeah. but like it's such a like having those experiences. Like I always tell people, like, dude, if you messed up, it's okay. Turning this around is what matters. Yeah, you know, it's like it, it, it almost it's like um. Not not to say like that we need to do bad stuff so we can have these experiences where we turn it around, but man, like you 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 come out on the other end so much better. Yeah, like, because I was at the point where if I don't tell someone, oh, I was thinking in my sick little mind, I'll just go get drunk, and then I'll come back and pick up a one day chip, and I'll never have to tell anyone that I lied. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like let's just let's see how I can spin it where I don't have to wow. tell the truth. Exactly. Yeah. So it. alcoholism is like, all right, we're gonna get you drunk again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. Like the 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 the, the, the lens you'll go to, so you don't have to mm. humble yourself. So I don't have to be vulnerable in front of you. Yeah. So I don't have to tell you the truth and let you see who I am. Yeah. Man, and no one gave a fuck. No. <laughs> like, no one, no one cared as much as I did. No, not at all. Not a inkling. I mean, that was relieving too. I mean, that was ego shattering to a point like, oh man, I'm not as important as I think that I am. You know, and things like that started to happen where like I had walked into a meeting one time and I was so, I mean, and I was, I had some time and I was like, I had about, I guess a year at this point and I had walked into a meeting and, um, or no, I did not have a year cause I was still lying. Okay. So this was, this was surrounded by this lie. I walked into a meeting and this like everyone is like so sad and like they look awful like they look like someone had just died you know and I walk in and they look at me and I'm like oh my god they know <laughs> they know they found me out yeah like the whole thing looks like yeah. somebody died because they found out about your secret yeah and that's what you're living with. Yeah. You know? And so I sit down in the meeting and my skin is like fire. Like I'm freaking, I'm sweating. And then somebody shares and the first person, the moderator shares and then a person shares and someone had died. Wow. A person had passed away. Somebody, I had known him, but not, not closely. Yeah. We had hung around a lot of the same people. And I, like this, the way that my brain works is so. Yeah. You're so. <sighs> You're such a self-absorbed person. Yeah, <laughs> dude, yeah. <laughs> no, jokes, but yeah, that's me too, you know? It's like, it's always about me. Yeah, always, always about me. Yeah. And I walked out and I called my sponsor and she said, uh, she said, she said, selfishness and self-centered is the root of our problems. Welcome. 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 Wow. I'm glad you finally seen that. <laughs> you know, and then all that stuff happened. I finally yeah. got honest about the lie. But, you know, a lot of things had happened since then. Um, I worked those steps. I finished that, that, you know, those 12 steps and I, she restarted me again and she said, let's do it again. Let's start from the beginning. One through 12 gets you real honest <laughs> and then you can share this message with other women. I said, okay. So we did that. And, um, you know, at this point, like, uh, you know, I started to realize that like recovery, some bad stuff started to happen, you know? And they had told me, you know, I have to maintain my spiritual life. I ha like, if I don't do these things, if I don't, if I don't stay connected to other people and if I don't, um, you know, work these steps and uh, do a, 
an inventory and I don't look at myself and uh, I don't connect to something greater than myself, which is a goal, <laughs> like, which is the purpose. It's no, it's no, uh, secret that the purpose of these 12 steps is to get me in touch with a power greater than myself that I can do business with, you know, and, um, and that will be there. And, you know, things got bad at a year. I picked up 11 months. I had started to, I was close to finishing that second set of steps. And, um, and I feel like you've probably heard me tell this story before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I picked up an 11 month chip I went to sleep. I woke up the next day. I went to work and on my way home from work. I got a call from my closest friend in Birmingham that my childhood best friend since second grade had passed away, that she had overdosed on heroin. And this was a person that had known me the longest in my entire life. And I had never experienced pain like that before, you know, and I wasn't sure at this point of like, if like these steps were going to keep me sober through like tough stuff, you know, yeah. like nothing bad had really happened since I'd been sober and, um, and I didn't fully believe in it. I just did it and I stayed sober, you know, but like this thing happened and, yeah. um, which are the things that you dread. You always go, yeah. I don't know if I can handle that. Like, yeah. That just seems like it's going to be too hard to bear. Yeah. Like, am I going to drink over that? Yeah. You know, am I going to be able to live through that? You know, cause I don't like feeling pain. Mm-hmm. I don't like being in my feelings and, uh, I'd rather go get drunk. Yeah. You know? And so, um, I mean, I felt every single bit of that, you know, and, and I, and I had to, and I, oh man, I grieved and I cried and I, I went to that funeral and, um, you know, I held her mom and, and I held me and my friends held each other and we cried and I got to make an amends at that funeral in this weird way. And that's a whole nother story, um, to my friend who had passed and, um, she was the closest person to me on this planet. Wow. Um, closer than my sisters anybody I'd known her the longest in my life and it was tough and that like somebody from the program called me every single day that I was gone and my sponsor was on the phone with me people were staying in touch with me these relationships that I was told to get and connected with like showed up for me and and it was like the first time that I thought like through this absolute mess and tragedy and like pain that like it felt like and they say like I can feel the nearness of my creator if mm-hmm. that makes sense and it felt like for the first time I was being held through something that I couldn't hold myself through and um and I believed I started to really fall in love with this way of life yeah you know because it I was like man this shit works and I and I would I want to drink you know I, I would want to drink right now but I don't. <laughs> you and know? this is at uh, eleven months. Eleven months sober. Wow. You know. And yeah. um, yeah. It was crazy, and you know, a month after that, I ended up ending that relationship with that that boyfriend of two and a half years, <sighs> and on you know began this. That must have been difficult, huh? It was. That was like one of the toughest things in not just in recovery but like in my life (laughs) like I have never experienced pain like that and um you know I don't want to feel that stuff I I don't know how to and I don't know how to feel that stuff and not judge myself for it and that's like I went through this whole process of trying to figure out like is something wrong with me because I'm still grieving over this six months a year later you know and um 
Yeah, I think everybody grieves very different. Like, yeah. I think, yeah, like, it's weird because I feel like I've experienced, like, family members dying in recovery, and I definitely thought, you know, that that'll be the thing. Yeah. You know, you go through some rough spots, but then you go, but if that happens, um, and I find that, like, my training <laughs> yeah kicks in it yeah. kicks in like you know what to do you know like for me it was immediately where can i be of service to my family who is who are also it's, grieving exactly you know? where can i how can i you know make sure that i'm that, that i'm connected make sure that i'm spiritually fit to co- to come in and sometimes i failed like you know whenever whenever my dad passed away i got into it with my little brother at the hospital yeah. And that didn't feel good at all. No. And like, right. Like (laughs) you can't walk away from that feeling. Okay. Anymore. Like, like I went, I made amends immediately, you know, (laughs) because, you know, I wanted to to be a healing force, not one that brings the, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so my sponsor and the people that I had gotten in contact with, and I guess this, this power greater than me, I felt like, you know, you, you guys, they had taught me how to show up. Mm. Like, how do I show up to stuff even if it hurts bad? You know, how do I be of service? Like you yeah. said, what what can I do? <laughs> and when this is like in, in, in the 12 steps rooms and the, the programs, that's the training ground. Yeah. Because we're showing up and being of service. And like the truth is most of us a lot of times don't want to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> how do I do it in life? Yeah. You know, how do I do this in life outside of a meeting where I'm picking up chairs and mm-hmm. making coffee? How do I be of service to people who are suffering when I'm suffering, um, and it's possible, yeah, I know that it that it, that uh, those things were possible, um, and uh, and yeah, so you know, it's 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 odd. I know we were running out of time, but um, that's when where are we at? We've been talking for like forty minutes this half. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good recovery. It's like a lot of like it's always cool. That I get like a lot of like the experience that we get post, you know, per post self imposed crisis. Yeah, you know, and yeah. Uh, like, yeah, you know, I, th- I think that we get caught up sometimes, and I mean, you know, you know, you hear it all the time, like in in what brought us here. But like, hopefully the message that we're giving is that, hey, man, you know, life can be beautiful. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I hate to be like, oh, yeah, my friend died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I mean, like beautiful things have come out of. But no, God, even but even that, that I, it's 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 so weird. But there was beauty in, you want, yes. in that experience. I never knew that those things could exist together. They could coexist. Yeah. Like I just didn't. Hmm. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember thinking to that that my grandmother passing away, and it, it took like you know, it was a it was like a two month process from the time she got put in the hospital to the time she passed away in hospice, and it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. Yeah, and it feels wrong to say that, but it, it does. But it, it, yeah, you know, because. I saw a woman, I just the experience of, of being there with her through the whole process yeah. was um, an experience that I am extremely grateful that I got to like be present for, yeah. you know, because in the past I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, show up I wouldn't have showed up. No. I would have, I don't even, I, you know, I would have found excuses to not go to the hospital during yeah. this time. 
and missed out on 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 being with her, holding her hand, mm-hmm. connecting with her, watching her bravely face death. Yeah, you know. Uh, and I and my whole life, I remember thinking, I'd never seen my grandmother look so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, and that's what sobri- That's the kind of things that sobriety gives me. Yeah. You know, a chance to show up. And that stuff's like, <laughs> it's freaking beautiful. Yeah. You know, I felt that same, that same wave. I remember being on the phone with my sponsor being like, man, I, I'm in so much pain, but I feel so much beauty around me. And mm-hmm. it's, I don't get that. And she's like, yeah, you're showing up to life. You know, this is, this is real life. Mm-hmm. And, um, I never been able to do something like that before. Yeah. Like, and it's funny how like, it it, it 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 just shows how you know all the things that I'm running from. I'm robbing myself. Yeah. Like I wanted to. We would how would, we would not have had those experiences. Yeah, because I've been running. Yeah. You know, or I would let's say, best case case scenario, I show up loaded. Yeah, which is never a good thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not if I'm loaded. <laughs> yeah, or, or I sh- yeah, I show up loaded and I'm fully s- absorbed, self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. You know, and I make it about me, uh, as, as I always do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they know me. They know my secrets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm suffering the most, yeah. so you need to now console me and that kind of bullshit. Man, thank God we're trying not to live like that. Yeah, anymore. yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm always I'm always like I hate, I I can't I like don't want to say. I'm always, I'll, I'll try to avoid saying I don't live like that anymore because I, I do live I like that I can at times. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's I why I still do the things. Like, yeah. I still need a sponsor. I still need meetings. I still need steps. Well, well yeah. I mean. Yeah, I, I, I need, I need to, to, to actively participate in my my own spiritual growth mm-hmm. all because i mean it doesn't stop right no it never stops no yeah. so like when it stops for me i get in so much self-will that i can't seem to get myself out of it mm. and that's the thing i can't get myself out of it yeah no <laughs> yeah like i like i dig myself this will this hole of God. self-will and i'm like how do i crawl myself out and it's like you don't get the point like you don't give it yeah. away like give it over yeah. you know surrender to win yeah take your hands out like jesus take the wheel <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it's that really came good. from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, cool. Uh, so, I think. Okay. So yeah, we're we are definitely about to go about an hour. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So maybe uh, maybe give us some uh, closing thoughts. <laughs> um, well, you know. So uh, j- so what would you say to somebody who's listening to this, um, who's like, I don't know, um, what to do. Um, I need help. I don't want to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm dying. I'm miserable. I'm sad. I'm lonely. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop using. I want to stop, but I can't. And I don't know where to go. What do yeah. you say to that person? Man, I think if I was talking to myself um, three and a half years ago, <laughs> um, what the fuck do you have to lose? <laughs> yeah. Do it anyway. Hmm. Just do it. It sounds silly because it's like so simple. Just do it. But like, man, I, I had 
nothing to lose. I mean, and everything to gain. And any second that I spent trying to figure it out, I had to wait until it was my idea, you know, (laughs) to get sober. It's going to be my idea. Um, That never worked, you know, Um, and it doesn't matter if I want it. (laughs) It doesn't matter if I need it. It matters if I do it. Hmm. And so I just got to get off the couch and do it. Yeah. What do I have to lose? Nothing. Nothing. Except the ego. We don't need that. Yeah. And if it doesn't work (laughs) and my life doesn't change, well, I can go back. I can go back. You can get back what you think you're going to lose. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like I had nothing to lose. All right. Well, that's a great answer. Thank you, Maris. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.